0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, we're business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have our marketing and business coaches, consultants, and mentors. We have the folks who help others create their businesses, and the do-it-yourselfers like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are one or more of the above, and like you, many of the folks who tune in every week are all of the above, take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we serve you at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also, be sure to check us out on networks like iTunes. Make sure you subscribe. You'll get fresh content every week and immediate access to over 250 topics covering a breadth and depth of issues that help business creators just like you. For today's episode, we have something that's going to be very action-packed, very relevant, that is both timely and timeless, and it's the keys to digital transformation. Our guest today is somebody who has been a trendsetter, and digital transformation, so we're very happy to have him today. His name is Chris Ahrens, and let me just tell you a little bit about him. Chris Ahrens has helped launch dozens of companies and products using a unique mix of digital sales and marketing strategies. At PulsePoint Group, Chris helped leading organizations become digital in their practice and delivery. In 2006, he launched one of the first social media departments at AMD and later wrote the book Social Media Judo the Essential Guide to Mastering Social Media and Delivering Real Results. Chris also teaches digital marketing at the University of Texas at Austin and has won numerous awards for his digital programs while working for clients such as Adobe, Amazon, AMD, Cisco, Dell, HP, LG, Microsoft, Philips, and others. Now Chris has co-authored a powerful blueprint to guide executives and business owners and their companies to thrive in the digital age. Less than 20% of organizations are getting digital transformations right, but these digitally transformed organizations can deliver twice as fast as other organizations, cut OPEX by over 30%, and have seen a near immediate doubling in brand value. The power to act faster and do it better than before sits at the heart of truly digitally transformed organizations. Chris, welcome aboard. Come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs)
1: I'm <laughs> glad to be here, especially after that wonderful so, intro.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I myself am wondering, am I qualified to be on this interview, just based <laughs> on that introduction? So, as our listeners know, we always give the official introduction that our guest asks us to deliver, such as this fine thing that I just shared with everybody. Many of our listeners, that being said, now have a separate tab open, and are Googling this Chris Aarons in digital transformation. They're looking to get to know a little bit more about you. So let's take a step back before we dive in here, because I know you have a ton of stuff to share with us in our limited time together, and just tell us sure. a little bit more about your professional journey, your personal journey, and what's brought you to where you are today, serving, inter- serving our business creators from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion.
1: Uh, sure. So I have owned uh, three separate um, agencies, marketing, public relations, and social media type agencies. Over my career, I've worked in a number of different disciplines, both on the agency side, as you mentioned, as well as internally. And throughout my career, I really tried to be the guy who came to solve the problems. And sometimes the harder the problem, the the more gratifying it is for me to solve. And so uh, you had mentioned the AMD uh, stint that I did. Um, AMD at that time was really struggling to get uh, a foothold against the Intel as they clearly are doing today. Uh, more so probably, and we saw that social had a power and a resonance that could kind of give us a leg up on the massive budgets and massive spending of Intel. So uh, that was one of those areas where I kind of gravitated towards, and I tend to gravitate towards those areas where I see a lot of opportunity and a lot of reward, and very few people kind of jumping in on them, uh, at least initially because of either fear or uncertainty or doubt. And so that's kind of been my journey, is just finding that sweet spot wherever I go.
0: That's fantastic. Now, in the introduction that I shared, uh, I said some, I said a term called OPEX, O-P-E-X. Before we get into the questions here, could you tell us what that means, OPEX? Could just define our terms, just so I fully understand.
1: Sure. So that's uh, operating expenses. So um, our operating expenditures. So basically. Um, You know, the the cost of going out and doing your business and operating, uh, when you use digital, you can lower those because digital is far more efficient than older traditional means of uh, processing, delivery, servicing clients and building products and things like that.
0: Right. Can you give us some examples of what that means? Uh, Maybe a story about how your work with digital transformation helped to reduce operating expenses. I love these stories because I'm a big believer yeah. in minimalism in the pursuit of maximum results.
1: Well, as, you know, as any business creator knows, you know, getting new customers is extremely difficult. And digital yeah. allows you to do that at scale and in a way that is repeatable by a single individual or a very small team of individuals. So whether you're a large corporation or even a you know, small proprietorship, uh, using digital tools allows you to uh, automate, and there's so many great online tools out there for small businesses and mid-sized businesses, and even the larger businesses use them. Um, but I was just talking to somebody the other day about Spreadfast and how Spreadfast allows you to basically uh, identify where your users are, who's using your product how they're doing it, and they had some very interesting um, examples of how they've used it South by Southwest here in Austin where I live to really fine-tune their marketing and improve their customer acquisition strategies digitally using a very simple online tool, very cost-effective tool, that virtually any small business can, and that's a great way for digital to be thought of as a cost multiplier, cost reducer, because it really does uh, deliver greater value for less. And we you know, like to say it's greater than the sum of its parts because as business creators, we all have this amount of money we spend, amount of time we spend on our, our businesses and uh, keeping our clients or our products out there. And then what digital allows you to do is reduce that and get you greater than some of your parts. So if you're spending a dollar, you're getting $2 of value back.
0: Some of the things that I like about digital transformation and particularly how they pertain to reducing operating expenses, regardless of the size of your company, I'll give you one first off is social media. I've argued yeah. many times that the, the social media has led to the democratization of information. When we look at that from a media perspective, it means that potentially everybody is their own media outlet. They can establish thought leadership. They can share opinions. They can shape public opinion. In some cases, that's a detriment because there are fewer filters But I also argue that that's a benefit for the same reason. It reduces some of the filters and allows more viewpoints to be heard, which to me is better for the human condition. Translate that to business, and it gives the smaller business the opportunity to compete on the same playing field as the larger businesses. When you have the ability to scale, when you have the ability to do the research, the analytics, and also the outreach to prospects and customers – at the same level as a larger company through digital transformation, that can simplify your ability to bring in customers because you can reach them with your message and sidestep some of the competition that somebody with a bigger budget could potentially do to you. A bigger budget, more resources, more technology, more people because with democratization, you can cut right through that. Another thing I like about it is how it's, not only cuts back on the busy work internally, but it allows you to engage people, whether they're your employees, whether you're contractors or allies, in such a way that they can serve at the intersection of their brilliance and passion. One of my personal favorites, and I've shared this in my book and I've shared this in many forums, is the use of online schedulers. Chris, just think back five years ago. If you need to set up a meeting with somebody, how did you do it?
1: (laughs) Uh, Usually five years ago, it would have been through a, a series of administrative assistants and maybe some handwritten notes. Probably,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, go back fifteen years. I, when I was in my corporate days myself, I was responsible for logistics uh, around training programs, both for internal staff and for the external, pri- the external practitioner network for a managed care organization, and just getting five people in the room at the same time. You don't have access to anybody else's schedule. They all have their own administrative assistant. In many cases, those administrative assistants have an agenda. And as a result, I could, speaking on behalf of my own supervisor, put out availabilities that my supervisor had. So you get four out of the five people that can work with one of those availabilities. So you think you have one nailed. And then the fifth one just absolutely can't do it by any means whatsoever. And by the time we hear from that fifth one, the availabilities of three of the original four have changed, so we're literally right. back at the drawing board. I remember one time taking six weeks just to schedule a meeting. I mean, really? And some of this involved phone calls to set up a conference call, if you can believe that, and I'm sure you can.
1: Yes.
0: Uh, with online schedulers, it becomes much more of a real-time thing because like, I don't – like, Chris, Like, let's say you wanted to come and speak with me. I don't have to tell you what I'm doing all day long so you don't know about my confidential meetings and you don't know when I'm playing hooky to go to the gym. You don't know any of this. You just know that those are the times I'm not available because I've I've, I've updated my calendar either to put this meeting, this meeting, this meeting, or this out-of-office block or whatever it is. You can see what's available. And I can take all five of those schedules, just find what's in common, and just book it in. It's done. Uh, When you're dealing with a human being, you are, like the administrative assistant, you are – at the mercy of that administrative assistant for a couple reasons. The first is that they, their own schedule might be preclude them being as proactive about responding to your request for a meeting as you would like. You just saw how I described one delay where it took the person three days to get back, and two of those three days were them probably trying to reach their own boss to figure out when their boss is available, believe it or not. Uh, the second thing you have in mind is you may have personal agendas in play, Maybe that administrative assistant has some sort of unannounced baggage that's going to influence their own responsiveness, where they can very subtly shade things to make sure that something that they disagree with doesn't happen, or that uh, due to some completely unrelated personal thing, they just kind of, not flub it, but complicate it in a little hundred subtle ways that you can't even call them out on. And then you also have, in some cases, the, uh, I'm going to use the word prejudices, of the person you're trying to schedule with, and maybe they just don't feel like sitting in another meeting, so they, either acting on their own or in concert with their assistants, have created a climate of, let's try and not get me into too many meetings, or let's not try and get me into this meeting, because as much as they want me to be here, I just don't want to. And that does not always translate into the best way to move things forward. We all have to do things that are not our favorite thing, but when that comes to impeding progress, then that's a problem. Absolutely. And to me, digital transformation helps to sidestep some of that. And as uh, if somebody else on well, the show has said, it, uh, it also you know, allows the process to call people out. So if there's a simple process for setting up a meeting – and you're just not responding to it you can't you don't have to go to the person and say you know chris we're really trying to schedule this meeting can you please just respond to this and put you on the spot it you can now speak it from the process and saying well the process is calling this up and saying we need to move forward on this can we get a yes on this
1: yeah absolutely 100 percent all of that is true but it is so much deeper than that it is It is one of these things that uh, you had mentioned um, uh, a second ago that 55 – in our research, 55% of executives believe that digital startups are their absolute worst competitors or best competitors, depending on how you look at it, because these digital startups are born digital, and they can do everything digital. And you were mentioning how, you know, small businesses can turn on a dime and react and can be closer to their customers. And that's what digital does. It's that democratization of technology – But because the digital startup is born digital, it's not dealing with all the legacy technology. But more importantly, it's not dealing with all the legacy mindsets. And that's one of the biggest things is that uh, a lot of people, a lot of organizations think that they can become digital, become digital leaders just by buying more and more technology. And that is simply one piece of a much larger puzzle. What you really need to do is – Change your mindset and think about what digital allows. What can we do? And one of the biggest things that digital allows and enables is a constant experimentation. So as you were talking about all the different things that can go on, one of the things that a small business, mid-sized business, even a large business can do with digital is constantly experiment and Treat every experiment not as a pass-fail, but as a chance to learn and improve because every experiment gives more data to the system and makes it smarter if you have that digital mindset. And that really allows organizations and leaders to try things and come back. But you've got to have that digital mindset that, hey, we're going to try it, and if it doesn't work, we're going to learn from it, and we're going to try again, and we're going to try again times a thousand because the more we try, the more we're going to figure out and get smarter about whatever it is, whether it's customer acquisition, whether it's new product development, whether it's manufacturing, whatever it happens to be that digital can allow that quick, almost immediate feedback of an experiment to change what you do. But, again, it starts with that really different mindset that we're going to just have this experimentation. We're going to think about things digitally. We're not going to default to the old ways. And that's where you get these smaller companies that can beat up or at least challenge the larger companies because they can carve out a niche so quickly and so specifically that the larger competitors sometimes have trouble reacting.
0: Yeah, that's very true. And to give you an example of that from a marketing perspective, we had a situation with a client a few years ago who – wanted to put on an online event and do a certain type of pricing strategy around it. And there were two discoveries that we made. Let me, let me back up one step further. And they were looking for a certain revenue number for this. They had been sold on somebody who said that they did this oh so successfully and it brought in X amount of dollars. And the client got all excited saying, oh, well, this will make me $60,000 too, and uh, that will take care of this, 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 and this. Well, there were two challenges to that. One of which is that it brought in maybe about $15,000, so a quarter of the way there. And it also revealed that two things. First of all, the way the pricing was done, basically, what, what it was is uh, it charged a person a dollar to attend the online event, and then it charged the other $96 three days later. And Even though that was clearly spelled out in the marketing, some folks found that to be, well, deceptive. And we could see why, because we got the feedback through our digital assets, and we could see through refund rates, we could see through complaints, we could see through comments why this worked and why it didn't. It also showed us that with some modifications to the strategy, one of which was just skip this dollar thing and just charge them the $97 bucks. we have shown through other initiatives we can get much more than that for a similar type of program we probably could have gotten there a lot sooner gotten at least a bigger dollar amount in terms of the gross revenues from this initiative now in that client's case they saw the power of data and tried some other things and they very quickly realized much more than sixty thousand dollars just by modifying the strategy in real time as they move forward we've also seen clients who said well this didn't bring in the money I was looking for. It was an absolute abysmal failure. And to me, that was the mindset that needed some adjustment, which is this wasn't a failure. This was great education about what we could do with our audience. And it also revealed some opportunities that by following this model exactly that we missed. And we couldn't have known whether that was a hit or miss unless we did it. The other beauty of the digital technology and the digital transformation is it's not like we had to go through a huge ramp up to make it happen, we could easily edit it and adapt it for round two, whereas with other forms of investment, you might have all this infrastructure up front, so now you find yourself in a situation where you have to put good money after bad, hoping the the bad turns good, because you're already so deep into it, whereas for a $100 investment to make it happen, and you brought in 15000 you got a pretty good ROI to begin with.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's not untypical for D- digitally, digitally transformed or digitally thriving organization. <coughs> Excuse me.
0: Right. Okay. So, um, so, and so going beyond uh, this, uh, you know, what are some other reasons why it's so increasingly vital for leaders in all industries to embrace digital transformation?
1: Well, the thing is is that eventually almost every business is going to be transformed. So let me take a step back. About 98% of organizations, large global 2,000 organizations, are digitally transforming or trying to digitally transform right now. Uh, new startups are born digital, as I mentioned earlier. So eventually everybody is going to be at a place in their journey where they are more or less digitally transformed. And so organizations that don't take it seriously, don't take those steps, risk not only not being the leader in their sector, they risk maybe being a laggard in their sector sector as other smaller companies or more aggressive competitors take over space. I mean, we've seen this so many times over the course of decades where, you know, at one point in time, Sears was the biggest retailer, and then it was somebody else, and now it's Amazon, and those took decades. Well, in digital, that's going to happen in years. It's going to happen in months. In some categories, it may happen in uh, just a few months as one company really overtakes another and starts uh, setting inroads to be the leader and then becomes the leader in, say, 24, 36, uh, 48 months. Um, So it's increasingly important that, Every leader of a small, large organization starts doing as much as possible to get digital to be the core, the DNA that we like to say of the organization, because that's how they can expand their business, grow their business, and leverage their business at a lower cost point and get more bang for their buck and do more for their customers. Because at the end of the day, and you've mentioned this a couple of times, it's all about making sure your customer or client is delighted, not just happy, but delighted and digital allows you to really fine tune that understand what they want when they want it and give it to them in a manner and fashion that they're expecting maybe even quicker or better than they're expecting and so i think it's increasingly important that all businesses you know not only recognize the need which 98% do but actually take the steps to get it right and transform that not only their technology but their mindset
0: yeah i think that's i think that's very much the case, uh, you know, you speak of Amazon. I've been around long enough to remember when Amazon was just a place you went to buy books. And I think yeah. a lot of us have seen the photo of Jeff Bezos in that in that warehouse he was working from, with the uh, with the picture of the Amazon logo taped onto the wall, and he's sitting behind this really ancient computer during the days when Amazon was continually losing money. And I'm reminded of a meme I've seen where it depicts Bezos, and you can tell he's walking to some kind of big office building, he's got a briefcase, he's got a bunch of papers in his other arm, he's sort of slouched over a little on the shoulders, he's got that haircut that's reminiscent of the haircut we all had for our third grade class photo, and he's wearing a a, a turtleneck or a v-neck sweater, and he's got this tentative expression on his face says, hi, my name is Jeff, I sell books. And then you show a picture of him 15 years later. Now, he's strutting along the sidewalk. He's dressed in all black. He's got this vest on. He's got his head shaved, and he's wearing his sunglasses. And that side of the meme says, whereas the first side said, hi, my name is Jeff, I sell books. The right side says, I'm Mr. Bezos. I sell what the fuck I want. And what that means to me is that Amazon was one of those companies that understood that the same technology could apply to so much more than just books. I mean, we're to the point where Amazon is not only – perhaps the number one retailer in the world, I would say certainly the number one online retailer, but they've also gotten to a place where they're viewed as one of the world's top search engines for information. That's how powerful this model has become because it understood digital transformation a lot faster than a number of competitors. I'm sure if we thought about it, we could name, but they've been gone for so long or they got bought out by Amazon so long ago that, They've just receded from consciousness.
1: Well, and actually, it's, it's, you're absolutely right. It's, but it, it goes deeper than that. I mean, Amazon Web Services is the largest host in the country, in the world, uh, in the globe. And so Amazon, looking at what they were good at and what customers wanted and understanding what a lot of organizations were going to interest. You know, we have the ability to self-service host like nobody else, and we have an infrastructure delivery system and engine that can be turned on as a product. And lo and behold, it put out um, a lot of companies like IBM and Rackspace, who I used to work for, who are now, you know, smaller part, part parts of this organization, this, uh, this industry, I should say. And Amazon is now this big behemoth that came literally out of nowhere. And that, again, goes to the power of digital transformation, that when you understand, you look at the data point and you can, it, you know, one of the things I want to take a break there real quick is that it, Data is one of these beautiful things. We all love it, and as a marketer or a business leader, we run our business on. But the interesting thing about data and digital transformation is it it quickly becomes overwhelming. And so what you really have to do is you have to look at the right themes and streams of information, themes that are coming across and where these uh, streams are coming from, so that you can look at a real targeted list or grouping of the information. Otherwise, it just becomes data overload, and it's worthless. Or you start looking at the wrong data, which a lot of uh, these companies who are just transforming because they're still looking at old world, you know, historical data, trying to run a real-time business. And so you really have to look at these things in a much more different digital mosaic than you would from a traditional rear view mirror looking kind of thing. And so when you do that, you get to see what the right themes and streams are. And that's, I think, incredible for any, you know, business creative, small business owner, mid business owner, is to identify what really are the things that matter to your customers, to your internal. To be. So you can manage digitally in real time or near real time information and take this and apply it and use it and see that it's going to drive some business and some goals for you, not just keep looking backwards and saying, you know, last month, last week we did something and then we moved it up without knowing why that happened or knowing the details behind it. Because if Amazon did that, we would not have AWS today.
0: AWS and S3. Those are a couple of things that really changed the world. I'm, I've been in this industry long enough to remember when getting a video hosted on your website was an absolute freaking nightmare because you had to code the video, you had to find a streaming service, and people would host their videos on their web servers, which in almost every case – and this is in the fine print of all those things you click off on when you sign up for a new hosting account for your website that you don't read – is that in nine times out of ten, I would say 99 out of 100 – Somewhere in a fine print, there's something that says that streaming video through this server is a violation of our terms and services, and we'll shut you down. People started to discover that being a reality when they purchased this cheap website hosting, and they were stuck on a server with 500 other people. And because there was so little space available, that one streaming video could affect 500 other users, and then the hosting company comes in and shuts them down. And they say, well, we have you shut down because your video was impacting 499 other users. You need to do something about this video before we'll put your site live again. But, but because we've suspended your account, you also don't have access to it, so you can't even fix the problem. S3 solved all that. All you do is you host your video on Amazon, you host your streaming file there, and you have a selection of servers, depending on where you do business in the world, so you can be local to your geographic market. And you can use any number of different plugins. A lot of your current WordPress themes integrate with Flow Player, which will easily serve a video hosted on S3. There are companies like Easy S3 and others that plug directly into your Amazon S3 buckets that allow you to upload and download files and generate players directly from them, which solves the problem. And to me, just in that one small area, Amazon did so much for the dissemination of information.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's again is you know, I think every business creator, small business, mid-sized business owner really needs to think about that and look at these kind of best practices and think about how a small, as you mentioned, bookseller, online bookseller became this behemoth. And it's because they look and feel and act differently from the from the beginning and they keep getting better and they keep thinking differently, they keep acting differently. And they keep using these really rich, interesting pieces of data, not all the data, not mostly the rear view mirror data. And so I think it really changes what is possible if you get into that mindset. But, again, you've got to kind of pattern your thinking process and look at these best practices that Amazon and numerous other businesses have established in the marketplace for how they go out. And I mentioned, um, you know, spread fast, but there's literally uh, – a million of these small to mid-sized, even large-sized businesses like Amazon that are doing things differently. And I think that it's incumbent upon every leader, big or small the organization, uh, to go out there, read books, listen to podcasts, and really understand what makes these companies tick and what makes these leaders think the way they do. Because the more you mirror that, the more you get that digital mindset, the better you're going to be, and you're going to be able to translate that to your individual business. You're going to be able to think about okay, Bezos and Amazon did this. How does that apply? How could I take that sliver and bring it back into my accounting business, my manufacturing business, my agency, whatever it happens to be? I think that's the real thing that um, a lot of smaller businesses and um, digital startups are doing, but we all have to do it because, as you mentioned earlier in this uh, interview, you know it's, it's great for all of us. The better we're served, as a public, whether it's government, whether it's products, whether it's services, the better it is for everybody. And I think that's what we're really excited about as consumers and as citizens, is that the more our government, the more our businesses, the more our brands that we have affinity with can better serve us, the better we're going to be, the better we're going to do our jobs, the better we're going to have our personal life, the better we're going to be able to interact. And I think that's what we're all hoping for with the digital revolution.
0: You know, I I remember something, and this was back when I was in MBA school about 17, 18 years ago, and we uh, did a uh, we did a course on the mindset of leadership, and one of the lectures we had one day from our professor was about our former president Richard Nixon. Some of the things, the traits about Nixon that made him uh, somewhat an imperfect fit for the presidency of the United States might have served him very well as a digitally transformative leader. For example, uh, what we learned from the tapes from the White House is that Nixon had this tendency to ramble with all these schemes you might think might be a little bit crazy. Uh, On the other hand, that same trait, that ability to explore the impossible, to put things on the table, even if it's just to roll them out, and at the same time, to learn from them, gave him a certain level of dynamism that could have served him well in a fast-transforming industry. That, and his uh, obsession with data, his need for knowledge, and his ability to move quickly in unpredictable ways, might have made him a great digital CEO, especially during the uh, the bubble, the, uh, the Internet boom, of the 1990s, and even today when we need that type of leadership. I mean, I'm, there's certain things about. Nixon, we certainly wouldn't want leading our company, but there are certain things about his style that are that were not by the book, were not inside the box, that encouraged that level of being able to transform on a dime. Now, I say that to people, and some folks say that's controversial. I stand by it. Uh, whether you agree or disagree with that, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. What do you yeah. see are being some other leadership characteristics that need to be implemented for a digitally transformed organization?
1: Yeah, well, first, uh, I, I I kind of agree, but I think that the principle is that you know we need to use our digital powers for good, and right. Oh, uh, I I, I that, agree with that, and that and that's where I think the the Richard Nixon analogy for me is that so much of his his wisdom was used for bad and for evil or for self uh, satisfying purposes, and right. so. Um, The issue is, and we saw this with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica just a few months ago. We actually have a very interesting post on our uh, website, inc.digital, that talks about how the Cambridge Analytica thing is one of those things that digital allows virtually anything. And with virtually anything, there's going to need to be some rules and some guidelines and maybe some bumpers or some guardrails to keep certain players, actors, whether they're internal or external, Acting and doing what is in the best interest of not only your brand but your audience. And you know, continually with Facebook, I think that they don't see where the guardrails are. And there's an article this week about Zuckerberg talking about um, Holocaust deniers. Like, he's okay with it and won't shut them down for a couple of reasons, which makes sense from free speech things, but then he doesn't put any guardrails or limits on it, and it comes across as looking like he doesn't understand the digital chasm that he is driving into. And so I think that's one of those things that leaders have to understand is that, yes, you are going into a brave, unchartered, you know, wild west of a world, but that doesn't mean that there are no rules. It just means you're going to be held accountable after the fact. It means that you have to set up your own best practices, your own rules, and you have to be extra vigilant about what could happen. Because, again, this is your brand, this is your company, and these are your customers. And, yes, maybe Facebook will be here for a 1,000 years because they're the largest behemoth on the planet and people just want to share photos and personal stories on there. But maybe they will drive off a cliff at some point, and I know people are starting to, you know, retreat from Facebook, too. So it's one of those things that maybe Facebook can get away with it, but you're small, the mid-sized business may not. And, what happens when you don't understand that you have to put on your own guardrails, you have to put on your own safety and best practices, and you have to look at things from a consumer standpoint and not just blindly go and do anything and everything that's humanly possible is one of those critical things when you talk about what leaders should think about is I can do this. I can see this. I'm gathering all this data. I'm seeing all of the stuff that customers do, want, need, um, aspirations, where they go. I could sell it. I could use it in this way. Yes, you can do all that. But what is the ramification to your business and to those customers you have today? Will they be here tomorrow if you do some of these things? And what is that cost? And so I think that's one of the big things leaders have to really think about. And, again, uh, if you go to uh, inc.digital, uh, that's the full domain. Um, and we have a section called uh, Critical Thinking or uh, thinking differently sorry. And um, there's several articles that we publish, and one of them is the uh, Cambridge Analytical One, which I think is definitely worth a read for your listeners.
0: Right. I think that's I think that's very true. And because the digital transformation has enabled us to move so quickly and gives us the opportunity to act, in some cases with limited information, in some cases even requires us to because of how fast things are moving. I think what I'm hearing you say is as a leader in a digitally transformed organization, you also have to have a process in place for anticipation because once it's out there, you might have to do a lot of backtracking very quickly. You may have a mess to clean up. So you need to develop not only a skill but an instinct for knowing how to move and what moves to make And thinking a couple steps ahead to what could happen, and do that in a very compressed period of time.
1: Well, and and you have to think about it from a customer standpoint, from a a a brand standpoint, from you know what what would you want done with your data? Would you want your data sold two, three, four levels deep? Would you want that data pulled and scraped and used in ways that you never intended? In the Facebook example, for. That we were just discussing so if you're okay with that as a brand or as an individual then you might be okay with it to do it as your brand but those one of those things that you know a, a survey of one is the worst survey of the world right right because it's it's going to be biased and there's no other data points to support it so even getting two people is better than one and if the person is internal or the executive of the the brand or the organization they're probably even worse than a survey of just one random person so I think it's incumbent upon leaders to really think about this stuff, as you said, in a real-time way based on what they would want done if they were on the other side of the digital wall, not behind doing all of the stuff in secret or in the background or whatever. And I think that's one of those things is as you sit around a conference room table and you're plotting out your digital strategy and you're going faster and um, and um Forward at such alarming rates of speeds and doing such amazing things because it's possible. You just have to have a little voice in the back of your head that says, "Okay, this is great, but is this the best thing for the customer? Is this the best thing for the brand? And if I were the customer, would I want this done to me or for me?"
0: Yeah, I think that's. I think these are all things we need to bear in mind in this realm that we're in. So, building off of that, uh, what? are some – and we've covered a few, I think, already. But what, are, in your view, are some of the biggest mistakes organizations make as they try and keep up in the digital age?
1: Yeah, I'm going to go back over a couple because they bear repeating. One is the, yeah. the misnomer that you can buy your way into being digitally transformed. Oh, yeah. Uh, if, if that were true, then the world's largest corporations would all be digitally transformed. And from our research, which we just completed another wave of in uh, May – only 18% of corporations are really at that upper level of digital transformation. As transformation is a process, you never completely get there. But if we look at, like, who is really thriving digitally and really exploiting the digital technologies for the betterment of the business, it's about 18%. And so when you look at that and you think about all these large corporations who could just literally pour cash into digital technologies, you realize that, buying stuff, whether it's software, hardware, whatever, uh, doesn't do it alone. And adding you know, certain people doesn't do it alone. It really takes what we call these seven elements, this concerted effort to get all seven aspects of it right, which include um, you have to have an executive who is going to be a digital explorer, who's going to go out there and push the boundaries and encourage his team and the entire organization to push. So it's not just a mandate, and they kind of walk away, and they don't do anything. Um, Also, you have to realize that customers are building their own portfolio of experiences. You mentioned social and how vast and diverse that is. Um, So it's really incumbent upon any organization to understand how customers build and do things in certain moments. And we've actually done a lot of work where we've identified the moments that matter. Uh, Going back to the theme and stream I mentioned earlier, the moments that matter. So if you and I were both going to buy, let's say, a luxury four-door sedan, we might have two entirely different processes for how and where we get information, but there are certain moments and certain points in time where we're going to cross, and that's where the brand has to show up in the right way with the right content to be relevant. And so that's critically important. And understanding that marketing communication is a flow. We've talked about on this uh, interview several times about how what would you think about what happened five years, ten years ago. And I remember doing these annual plans and five-year plans. That's a joke in a real-time world. (laughs) Planning is done instantly with the data you have, with the experiments you're running, and it's constantly reflected and reforced by what's happening and then tweaked based on what you're seeing in that real-time or near real-time situation. And you're constantly reevaluating and doing better work based on the the previous work you've done. And then, you know, like I said, Everybody has to be responsible to each other, and this is one we haven't touched on, but I want to spend just a second on it if I could, because, you know, you think about what happens in sales, in service, in support, in manufacturing, in, you know, whatever group, accounting. All of these points have data coming into them. They have customer interactions. They have Features and things that are happening within them, if those things are not shared and they're not coming together using all of their digital tools collectively, the organization kind of collapses under its own pillar structure because each pillar grows to its own length. And it doesn't really kind of work together to support the overall organization. So everybody has to be responsible. So if you hear about something in support about a product that continually keeps breaking, not only should you inform manufacturing, but that should be brought up to sales and it brought up to service and brought up to other people. So we can do this in a digital way. So we're re- responding to a customer need, not a customer crisis. Little things like that make such a big difference. And the final one, And this goes back to the planning is that, you know, everybody should be in the moment and one step ahead always. You don't need to be 22 steps ahead. You don't need to be 42. You're probably never going to get there. But just one step ahead. If the customer is looking in this direction, if you think you can get one one step ahead by doing something for them in advance, that's what you do. If a competitor is leaning this way and you can get one step ahead, that's what you do. It's just one step ahead, constant tweaking of your strategy and staying out in front using what you have. It, you know, it's kind of like, you know, maneuvering a ship in a tide you figure out where the best way to go is to use that tide to your best ability
0: wow see that's some pretty good stuff and i remember back when this digital transformation was entering the world of training and development and the buzzword was e-learning and yeah. to illustrate some of the exact things that you just said is there's this cartoon that used to show up in a lot of presentations that i would see and even a few that i gave back in the day where you have the the training manager sitting in the office with uh, some chief something, whether it's the CEO or the CFO, and the CFO says this is the e learning thing. I, I don't really know what it is, but if you're telling us our competitor has one, I authorize you to buy two of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And unfortunately, we see that sometimes, and I've seen it even in real time with even some people who have come through our firm. As clients, and I've had to work with them on this, and uh, here's some of here's some uh, of the trends that I see is they'll go to conferences, and they'll sit through every pitch, and they'll buy every single piece of software, and by the time they've bought all the software, they're kind of running short on people to make it work for them, so uh, they're looking to get people to do it at a reduced rate or get one person to do way more than their current coverage calls for them to be able to do. So there's a learning curve involved in it. So you bought the technology because you were dazzled by the presentation on the stage that the technology could do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. But what that presentation didn't tell you was the how that goes behind it, the work that goes behind it, the implementation that goes behind it. And it's never truly a push button. Like when WordPress made the transition from being a blogging software to something you could use your entire website, we were still hearing about the famous five-minute install. And we had clients who could not believe, they could not fathom that it took more than five minutes to get a website up because the famous five-minute install. Well, that WordPress actually takes less than five minutes to install. You uh, upload a software, which usually takes about two minutes if you're on a decent pace. Web server or your hosting allows you to push a button that says install WordPress. So it's done instantaneously and you set up a username and password. Congratulations, you've installed WordPress. Now all you need is a website. (laughs) It's it's, it's little bridges like that. Or we see folks that will, they're entering the world of entrepreneurship. They've been a one-stop, they've been a one-person operation, chief cook and bottle washer up until now, and they've told that they need to outsource. They need to leverage. They need to build a team. So immediately they hire three virtual assistants, a copywriter, a social media manager, a webmaster, and a partridge in a pear tree. But they don't have a plan for what these people's contributions will be. And because they hired them in such a hurry because they were told they had to, they didn't really even stop to see what these individual people were capable of doing. They might have needed fewer people. They end up hiring a lot of people who can all do the same thing, but then do it differently. So that leads to internal conflict. So, yeah, these are examples of being digitally transformative without a plan and without thought.
1: Yeah. And that's uh, very true. Actually, uh, Michael Schrog, who is the uh, resident technologist for MIT's um, digital innovation center, has a great quote and a story in our book. And he talks about how he went into this uh, large, impressive sounding organization and they proudly announced to him that they had bought iPads for all of their sales teams. And so he said, oh, that's great. And so he asked and looked what they were doing with them. And largely what they'd done is taken the sales order entry function, <coughs> excuse me, and put it on an iPad. But they didn't digitize the data. They didn't share the data. They didn't use it. They just allowed the salesperson, instead of carrying a notebook or doing it on paper, then putting it into a notebook to do it on an iPad and then eventually sync it up when they got back to a Wi-Fi connection. So all of this at time and money and expense, just like you just mentioned, was literally a wasted effort because the sales team did not become more digital. They did not learn more about their customers. They were not getting better insights from the orders and types of orders and how customers were reacting to certain pricing or whatever that comes with being a truly digital organization at your core. All they did was change the order entry from being a larger device that was not very mobile to a smaller device that is more mobile and literally wasted everybody's time, energy, and attention in the process.
0: Yeah, and I think part of you know, what we've been transitioning into here as we go through, and boy, this time is going past. We're already three-quarters of the way there, so let's see what else we can get for our listeners here, is uh, we're talking about some of the differences between companies and their leaders who do digital versus doing truly digital business. It's one thing to buy the digital stuff. It's another thing to be in a digital business.
1: Absolutely, and that is the, the real key, is that you have to think and act like a digital business. Uh, the 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 mindset that goes into it, and again, there's so many great books out there. There are so many great podcasts. There are so many great leaders you can follow, and you can see how they do it. I'm a big fan of Tony Shea from Zappos. I think that the way yeah. he experiments, the way he thinks, the way he kind of and some of it's way too far out there for most business leaders. I'll be the first to admit that I've actually told right. you that, um, but he himself will agree. Yes, it is, but I don't know until I try. I don't know what um, autocracy, his new management thing, which I think he's abandoned about a year ago now, uh, is going to do, but I like the idea and I'm going to try it. And I want to see what's going to happen because I have the ability. And if I learn five things from it and it builds a better company or allows me to do more for my employees and my customers, then it's worth trying. And so he really is willing to push those limits. And as a digital explorer mindset, he has one of the better ones because He's constantly looking at the right streams and themes of information, looking at the moments that his customers are really engaged in, and then trying things on the back end and on the front end to really push the envelope to see how he can stay uh, at the forefront, knowing full well that he's owned by Amazon, and they give him the freedom to do that because they love him to do it. So it's really terrific.
0: And what's interesting about Zappos is I remember hearing a story years ago that you could call Zappos and order a pizza. So I tried it. I called, Zappos, yeah. I called Zappos and ordered a pizza, and son of a gun, if they didn't make sure I got a pizza. And you may so, be thinking, wow, it, is that a catastrophic waste of your resources? But think of it this way. The coal shoe company that, that sent me a pizza? Where do you think I'm going to buy my shoes from?
1: Well, and that's uh, so that story is, I think, about six, seven years old now. And Tony actually has told that story so many times and it's online, you should actually hear him tell it. But the the mindset behind that is if a customer calls and asks for something, then we're going to try to skip it for them. It's not the immediate brick firewall that says you've called a shoe company or handbag company, whatever they're selling now, and you've asked for a pizza, so we have to basically tell you how wrong you are. It's, no, we've got to figure out how to get you what you want. And I believe the um, – Uh, In Tony's uh, version of that story, when he tells it, he called up at like 2 o'clock in the morning from a Santa Monica hotel, and they found a pizza place that was open later, and they got it. And the the whole conversation with his Apple's employee, who did not know it was Tony at the time, I think took less than a minute. And that's what you have. And he's trained his people to serve the customer and to use the tools at their disposal to do whatever the customer can within reason, of course. And if it means getting a pizza and charging it to your Zappos account, then sure, why the hell not? If you're dumb enough to call up and order a pizza from Zappos and we're smart enough to do it for you. That's the whole mindset. And that's a beautiful, beautiful story that, you know, that I think needs to be told more and more.
0: Yeah. As I said, I tested it and it worked. And another thing I yeah. love about Zappos model, and I think this goes to digital as well, is, he, is, is Tony set up a policy where the people in purchasing – sit right next to the people in marketing and copywriting so that the blurb for the website uh, for that particular brand of shoes or that handbag or what have you is written while the order is being placed. So do you have a correlation between what the product is and how it's being marketed? That's just one of their innovations that help to make their online ads so much more attractive.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and and that's again, you know, all together. I talked about that in, the, in one of the previous questions. It's like all together all the time. You have to work together as a group because when you have these silos, you see silo mentalities, and you see literally unlimited amounts of value in in terms of data, in terms of thinking, in terms of collaboration, just evaporating or dying on the vine within an organization. So this all together mentality. And Tony's done it in a beautiful way of just putting them next to each other, however you wind up doing it with virtual teams or making sure that people come together and collaborate and use their smarts, their insights, and their knowledge together for the betterment of the customer and the business is really what has to happen.
0: Yeah, I think that's really great. So one of the arguments that I make is about how post-industrial we are in the United States. Not exactly a new concept. And when I work with companies to help them with some of their digital transformation stuff, but that's something that I do as well, is one of the things I bring up is this thing that they've been doing up until now. Is this because it's actually an efficient thing, or does it have some roots in the Industrial Revolution? The Industrial Revolution served a great purpose. You think about Henry Ford and the assembly line concept, and also when Henry Ford paid his workers $5 a day, which was absolutely unheard of. And those who do know the history know that Henry Ford did not pay people $5 a day because he was some kind of social justice pioneer. To the contrary, the reason he paid people $5 a day is he wanted a stable workforce that worked together, that felt a personal investment in the job, that would, that would create more and higher quality cars. That was it. There was a business reason behind it because he recognized mm-hmm. the power of people to help him create a superior product. He also understood with the assembly line concept, you got the various actors and putting that car together next to each other so that they could collaborate more efficiently, where then you know, you do the chassis over here, then you hook it up to a crane, you drag it over to this place where they put the wheels on, then three guys come and push it down to the place it puts the doors on. They just put it on a conveyor, and whatever step of the car you were working on, the step right before it was happening, right to your, right before your very eyes to your, to your left or to your right, and the person waiting for you to do the next step was watching you so it flowed together much more cohesively
1: absolutely and you know that's one of those things that is a great great story but we we also have to remember that through the 1950s and 1960s that because of the way those cars were built if there wasn't a guy on the line and that time probably was a guy they would just leave the parts under the uh uh, driver's side seat or passenger side seat, and they'd leave it for the dealer to put it together. So, again, all of these things have to keep evolving, and you have to keep using all of these lessons together and applying them digitally. So, while Henry Ford and Tony Shea have done a great job of kind of collaborating things, there's always new lessons to be learned, there's always new techniques, yes. there's always new things that you can do. And again, if you're just entirely curious, if you're just really wanting to see what if I do this, what if I did this, what if I asked my customers this, what if I gave my customers this, what if I did this for my internal people, you're going to start moving the needle much faster, as you mentioned in the intro. Uh, you know, businesses are seeing 2X brand value by becoming truly digital at their core and using a digital DNA. So the value is there, and it certainly delivers.
0: Yeah. And the other piece of this that I see, and I want to get your thoughts on it, is in terms of what we learn about the digital age from the Industrial Revolution, I think that's a great example, is also where the Industrial Revolution sometimes get in the way. Because sometimes we still think of uh, 9 to 5 with a 30-minute lunch break and two 15-minute breaks, and you have to be – you're not actually working unless you're sitting at your desk in an upright posture and you answer your telephone on the second ring. Uh, I remember when I was in corporate, and I had this boss's boss who, frankly, was just clueless, and she said she had gotten some reports that I was wandering around all the time and not doing my work. Well, no, 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 no. I was responsible for a process that she initiated to increase the collaboration between my department, which was the contracting department, and the care management department that generated paperwork for cases where people uh, who were covered by that insurance company went to out-of-network facilities in different states, which is called a non-participating provider situation, and I was spending a lot of time in care management, helping to facilitate the process from that end. So what good would it be doing for me to just sit there and wait for them to... Uh, stuff to me uh, where I could be over there on the other side making the process work more efficiently
1: well and that's that's a perfect example of being slave to a process or slave to a, a theory uh, an ar- uh, archaic theory you know and again it goes back to this experimentation it goes back to this you know what if what if we did this what if you know what of our customers suggested something and not just say hmm, that's interesting and let it fall off the wayside or the table or into the waste bin but say, oh, that's interesting. Now let's think about that. Why did they ask it? What can we do in that way? Do they really want that, or do they want something more that we could deliver in about the same amount of time or just a shorter bit longer? It's really understanding and pushing those needles and getting close to it. Again, this explorer mentality that every executive, large and small no matter the size of the organization, should really be out there kind of talking to customers, looking at things, walking in the halls like you did and saying, okay, why are you doing this? It seems like, you know, you guys are spending an exorbitant amount of time on X and Y and not much time on Z, but Z is a lot where we get a lot of value or maybe we can extract more value or give more value to our customers. It really is a different world. And if you go in thinking that this is just an evolution, you've already lost you've just already lost it is a revolution and you have to think differently and you you don't know what to think about until you start getting out there and exploring in the great unwashed digital world that's in front of you
0: that's very true and we have two minutes left here and i gotta say this has been a fantastic episode if you're listening to this for the first time subscribe to itunes go back and listen to it again and what i want to do is i want to give one of these minutes over to you and tell us a little bit about a little something you uh, put together for us
1: Well, I think that one of the the key things for any business leader is to really think about what they stop, start, and do different. We were just talking about the last question, about being um, different and innovative, and and that's sometimes hard, especially if you've been running a business for five or ten or longer, even you know a couple of years of the same business and just moving between organizations. Really think about what you would stop doing, what you would start doing, and what you would do differently. Right. And I think you should write these down, get together with a team, and really, really take some time to think about this because when we've done this exercise with clients, we have often identified huge time wasters that they're going to stop, huge new things that they want to do but nobody's ever given them permission or time to do. And then all of these things that they want to do totally differently because they're just broken and need to be changed. And so when you go through this exercise, you really see as a business leader and your team members, see, and it's a great way to get buy-in, by the way, for any digital process or a new digital mentality that's going to permeate your organization, that we're here to listen, we're here to engage, and we're here to identify what works, what doesn't work, and what we're going to fix because we know it should work or it could work if we really get together as a team.
0: Exactly. We have 40 seconds left. You said you had a a gift for us. Uh, Can you give us a link and what they're going to get?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so we have a sample chapter of the book, and we have tons of uh, information that we have uh, written, and um, it's all up at uh, com is our main agency site, but the site for your listeners where they can get all of this stuff is at the, the
0: com forward slash BCR. Chris, Aaron, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education.
1: Thank you. you. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, for everybody listening. Uh, you know, have a great day and take care. This is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show.